Welcome back to Let's Talk About It, a podcast sponsored by The Fuse and produced in the Elliott School of Communication at Wichita State University. I'm Bobby Berry. And I'm Jessica Newman. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is our third episode, and today we're discussing the all-important and very often underestimated topic of financial literacy. So joining us today is Shilu Surrender, Director of Financial Aid here at Wichita State University. Thanks for coming, Shilu. And then we also have Alexis Scott, who is the Financial Aid Advisor and Outreach Coordinator um, here on campus. So thank you as well, Alexis. Absolutely. So Shilu, let's start with you. Would you mind just explaining your role as the Director of Financial Aid and maybe tell us a little bit about why you chose this this specific career path? Sure. Um, So... My role at the university as Director of Financial Aid and Scholarships really is oversight and management of the financial aid process. Um, And that's really the distribution, the awarding of financial aid to all of our students. Um, But beyond that, it also um, entails, entails a lot of compliance related issues because when you're awarding federal financial aid, As you can imagine, the federal government has a lot of rules attached to that. So um, that's the part that's about federal financial aid. I also manage an office of 21 people, 21 fabulous uh, financial aid administrators who really handle the day-to-day work. So while I have oversight, um, it's a team of folks that do this good work. So you're saying you're not busy really at all? Not at all. That's what I thought. (laughs) And why did you choose to to, um, follow this? So uh, I don't know that I chose it. It kind of chose me. (laughs) (laughs) Happens often here. Yes, yeah. So my um, undergrad really was in international business and business administration. And and I was working for a corporation doing uh, finance and accounting related work. And I thought that I was going to go into international business. And and that's where my path would take me. But as often as the case, you change careers. And for me, that happened kind of, um, I guess, just by the nature of the work that I was doing, uh, the company left Wichita and I chose not to move. Um, and I wanted to stay here in Wichita. So then that kind of led me to down another path. I thought, let me do some self-reflection on if this is what I really wanted to do, um, because when you're working in finance, it's a lot of um, individual one-on-one work, and I wanted to really work with others. Um, and so when I started at Wichita State in the Office of Financial Aid, I was a loan counselor. And so um, that got me to start working with students, and I really discovered my passion. And that's one-on-one interaction with students. And then as I realized the work that we're doing, it's about, um, What I had personally, because um, my parents really pushed me to education and the value of education. And I saw that many of our students don't have that support and I loved being there to provide that access and support. So as I did scholarships and continue to work with students, uh, I knew this was what I was meant to do. Well, that sounds really interesting to me, and I didn't know that about you, Sheila. So thank you for that. That was really that was that was really important and uh, fascinating for me specifically. But Alexis, I know you've been on this campus for a few years now, at least, but right. from a different perspective. And so, what I think is interesting is your student perspective, and now you being an individual who also works in the Office of Financial Aid. Uh, what drew you to that role specifically that you have in financial aid? 
Well, what drew me was the next step. So I started off in admissions and I was a recruiter. And it was easy to sell my story. You know, I could get people to come to Wichita State. That was the easy part. The hard part was once they came to Wichita State, then what? You know, when we started talking about numbers, when we started talking about, you know, what does tuition look like? What does scholarships look like? I realized, well, I need to, I need to assist there. And so that's what drew me uh, to one, expanding my horizon. You know, I have a passion for higher education and there's so many different facets of it. And so when I realized recruiting the students was one step, but that next step is how do you retain them? And a lot of times finances is one of the reasons why we don't retain students, you know, they, they simply can't afford it. So um, I became an advisor and then the outreach coordinator piece came with it just because I, I love outreach. I get to work with uh, counselors, um, other departments across campus, you know, and provide additional resources for our students. With that being said, your engagement with students, what are some of those questions, those financial questions that the students probably ask you most frequently? What are you hearing from them? So one of the most frequent questions that I get is, where do I start? And as cliche or as broad as that may sound, um, a lot of students don't know where to start. You know, we have a lot of additional resources online, um, and that's where I take them. I literally, whether it's on my phone, um, if they catch me in passing, um, or if it's actually sitting down with them and turning my computer and saying, okay, we're gonna walk this through step by step. Um, I want you to even utilize uh, my mouse, and I want you to be able to click so that you can kind of get some memory on where to access these resources. Um, online, we have literally hundreds of scholarships uh, waiting for students to apply to them and oftentimes they don't and so that's one of the main questions where do I start um, sometimes we utilize the example of holding someone's hand um, but sometimes it's actually no you, you get behind them and you can you know whisper what what's the next direction because sometimes the holding the hand they can shut their eyes and not even look at you know what you're actually doing they just open their eyes and next thing you know a dollar amount has now entered into their account but when you're not there when the advisor needs a break or um, you advance you know in your career you know they're still left and stuck with that question so that's one of the main ones um, I would say another question that I get often is um, I don't know what to ask and that's really a statement and so as an advisor, you have to kind of um, go beyond that a little bit. You know, that's the, that's the portion of advising. So you advise them to say, um, okay, I realize that, you know, you don't know where to go from here, or you're saying, well, I think this is it, this is all. Um, but as the advisor, you have to open up that can of worms, per se. And I know people um, oftentimes don't want to do that, but I'm one of those type of advisors. I'm going to. We're going to open up the can of worms together. Um, and so instead of saying, you know, is, is this all, you know, I think I got it, I always encourage my students to ask, you know, what's next? Okay, after this application has been submitted, what does follow-up, you know, look like? How do I reach out to them? Um, so those would be kind of my top two that I would share with you um, that I pretty much see, you know, across the board, no matter if it's returning adult students, um, incoming freshmen. Um, I know I even had that same question, you know, literally from start all the way to finish. Those are some of the questions I see. Absolutely. And that's why I, I, I'm, I was really happy when you took that role, because I think someone who's been a student on this campus and then goes into a role of being able to help and assist students, they have an understanding of what that felt like when they were on the other side of that table. And I think they bring a unique perspective to that role. So I'm really excited and happy that you're where you are right now. 
Thank you. Yeah, and I love, Alexis, that you mentioned how some students just say they don't know what to ask, you know, because I think we get into this mindset, you know, we want to help students and we just say things like, just let me know if you need me, let me know, you know. And, and like as an instructor on our campus, I imagine that would be similar to me getting up in front of my class and saying, do you have any questions before I lecture? You know, and like they have no idea if they have questions. So asking that next question and making sure that they understand what they don't know is so important. And I love that you've recognized that and that you're working on that. So kudos to you for that. Um, Shilu, so you kind of oversee all of these things. You oversee different processes and um, all these different applications for aid. So among loans and grants and scholarships and other types of aid, um, what type of aid do you often see utilized the most in your office? So at Wichita State, um, approximately 70% of our students are on some type of aid. Um, that could be grants, which most of our grants, Pell Grant eligible students are our highest need students. So Pell Grants are an entitlement program. You file the FAFSA, if you demonstrate enough, um, low enough financial need or low enough estimated family contribution number, then you would qualify for a Pell Grant. Um, there are also other grants that you could qualify for, um, but that's limited funding. Um, and so we're talking about um, approximately six to $7,000 if you were a zero EFC or estimated family contribution and the highest need student, and that would be all grant funding. Um, we know that a typical resident student has about $22,000 in cost of attendance. And cost of attendance is tuition and fees, it's room and board, it's books, it's miscellaneous expenses, it's personal expenses. Students still have to buy shampoo and deodorant, all those things, so we factor that in because we wanna get the student the most aid that they are possibly eligible for. Well, beyond grants, then they could um, be eligible if they're a high need student for work study. So that's where they could have a campus job, work on campus, and the department pays 75%. I mean, the department pays 25%. The federal allocation is 75%. So that's a win for the student as well as um, for the offices on campus. Um, and so that's a way that, again, these are, this is gift resources or work resources where a student doesn't have to pay it back. Then of course, the biggest number is the student loans um, because all students um, typically can qualify for a loan. Some of it it's need-based, some of it's non-need-based. So any student could qualify for a non-need-based um, loan. So for, for that fact alone, um, the majority of students will qualify for some loan funds. Um, and then the high need students will qualify for the grant funds and work study. So the final um, part of that is scholarships, of course. And we have a lot of our students who qualify for a variety of scholarships, both internal um, to the university and external scholarships. For example, last year alone, um, our students brought in nearly over $2 million of external scholarships. And um, coming forward this year, we will have additional opportunities for students to apply for even more external scholarships, as well as institutional scholarships. Um, we disperse over $105 million annually in all of these programs. So um, that's why 70% of our students are on some type of aid. 
That's excellent. There's a lot of numbers there. So, you know, the 2 million was external scholarships. The 105 million was total aid. Do you have a number on um, how many merit-based scholarships we award institutionally speaking each year? So um, a combination of merit-based and need-based, we award about $19 million annually wow. in um, aid. And, and that's a credit to uh, our administration and also our uh, foundation, the WSU Foundation, who really have been going out and um, seeking additional need-based scholarships. So um, our programs for a while, we started out with merit-based, but our focus now is really on affordability and trying to meet the gap of tuition and fees for our students. And so that is need-based aid that we are growing um, in all areas. And so that uh, our students who have that financial need, uh, even though they have grant funds that they're getting, there's also a gap between the grant funds and the tuition and fees costs. So um, being that those are our highest need students, we wanna make up that difference with some type of need-based scholarship. Um, so uh, I would encourage all students to file the FAFSA because even if students don't think that they have um, eligibility to get anything more than loans, it's filing the FAFSA. And if we can see that there's some financial need there, then we can also consider them for need-based scholarships. Okay, that's something people usually just don't know. Wow. Yeah. That's something that I didn't even really know. Um, so keeping in line with that, Shilu, in each of our po podcasts, we have addressed COVID in some, in some aspect. And so on our campus specifically, um, how have you seen COVID impact the way in which students engage with your office? Have you seen that change yet? Well, early on when we went to online learning in the spring, um, you know, we were offered um, awarded um, CARES Act funding. So um, with that CARES Act funding, then we were able to do some emergency aid, emergency um, grants to students. And so that was our initial interaction related to COVID because students started applying to us, letting us know that they were experiencing job loss, especially students who were working on campus. Um, you know, they obviously when they went online, then they no longer had a job that they could go or um, students that were working in different areas, non-work study related, but different uh, on-campus jobs, they suddenly didn't have money for rent or food. And so we worked to try to get those students some immediate emergency aid. Our foundation also raised funds for that, that we were able to award because the CARES Act funding was restricted to domestic students. And so we then turned around and were able to use the foundation um, Shockers Up funding for our students who were international students or our online students. Um, so that was a tremendous help to us in terms of the students that were reaching out. Um, the other thing that we were able to do is that we have a process called um, professional judgment. And that's where when you file the FAFSA, it's on past income information. Uh, from your previous year's tax return. So when COVID hit and you had this job loss situation or immediate needs, then students could come in and uh, either physically, or we also uh, opened up and had Zoom appointments, um, that students could contact our office and share what their needs are, what they were experiencing. Um, and we could either offer emergency funding or that professional judgment process to reevaluate their FAFSA information to see if they could have 
either additional grant aid or be eligible for additional grant aid or maybe some additional loan funds. Wow. That's a, that's to me that's a huge testament to your office and we talk about being uh, an institution that's able to adapt and I think adapting that quickly and that efficiently to really make sure that we're serving the needs of our students definitely uh, kudos to you guys and your team over there for sure and definitely I, yeah. kudos to our teams because we've been talking a long time about um, paperless access where students can reach out to us um, and communicate with us. That's been difficult to do when you're inundated with all the work that already happens, but all of a sudden we were forced to. And my team really um, just flexible and adaptable to the situation. Um, they were able to pivot, change to an online format for Zoom appointments. Um, and really the traffic in the office has not been that much. The traffic has been through Zoom and phone calls where now people have really quick access to our office. So setting up an appointment with an advisor and having communication about what's going on in their life, that's important because we won't know until you tell us. Right. And so once you tell us, then we can figure out together what some options are. Um, and not that it's always an option, you know, our office obviously has limited funds, so it's not always going to be that we can offer additional grant aid or additional scholarships, but we will try to fill the gap where we can. And then we connect our students with other resources. You know, we partner with um, Office of Diversity and Inclusion, or we partner with Student Affairs and, um, the care team and there's other resources on campus um, or off campus that we can refer students to. So until we know that they're struggling and in our case, it's financial struggles, we're not able to help them. So that's where students have to connect with our office to let us know and then we will help them figure it out. And that's something I'd love to talk a little bit more about is that, you know, you said that that you don't know until they tell you and that um, you want to hear about their life and these sorts of things. And we all know that finances are not easy to talk about. It can be embarrassing. It can be stressful. It can be, you know, any of these things. And Alexis, especially for you, having just been on this campus, you know, as an undergrad three years ago, um, what is it like or, or maybe how do you help students when maybe they are nervous to engage with you or ashamed or any of those feelings that come with money? Um, I'm glad that you asked me that question. Uh, one of the things that I always do, whether I'm meeting with students in their, in their families in person or virtually, I always tell them to take a deep breath, in and out. And I always try to include, you know, in your small personal bubble, just to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. Um, but I share my personal story. Um, a lot of times, you know, people want to hear that I'm not the only one that is, that's dealing with this situation. Um, and that kind of speaks to your expertise, if you will, on the subject matter. So whether that's scholarships or, or grants or loans or whatever the case may be, when you open up uh, to the student or, you know, trying to calm a parent down about their student having to take out loans or whatever the situation may be, um, that eliminates some of those natural barriers. Um, anytime you're talking about finances, you know, it, it Specifically, we're uh, speaking about federal aid here, but if someone was going to a bank to get a loan, if they're getting ready to buy a car, a house, finances, they can make you cringe. 
no matter what. So you have to, as the advisor, um, remember, you know, what was that like for you? Um, each of our advisors, you know, have had some type of contact with um, a student directly or them themselves as the student, and it's you taking that time to reflect and say, when I was in that seat, when I was in that situation, what were some of the things that I was afraid about? You know, a lot of times students, um, they're afraid of judgment, you know, so um, I took out some loans and I didn't quite, you know, spend it correctly or, um, you know, I had a job, but actually I, I took a spring break trip with that job, you know, um, but that's the realities that we're facing, you know, and it's about just acknowledging that, you know, we're not going to always make um, the right decision the first time, maybe not even the second time, and unfortunately, maybe not the third time either. Um, but it's about, you know, when you're advising, meeting with a student virtually or in person, remember to put yourself in that seat. And I always encourage our advising team, if you can, if you feel comfortable enough to share a little bit about yourself, again, that's breaking down that barrier. And you can literally see um, the, the presence of heaviness lift off of people because it's like, okay, you, you do understand she what I'm going it. through. Yeah. Right, right, you, you understand. I love that. That's that's incredible. There's a lot of uh, empathy, I think, that you guys just innately have to have. I and mean, we all do that work with students, but particularly when you're working with a topic like this. Um, sticking kind of with that buzzword of financial literacy, why do you feel like it's so important for students to learn this type of skill sooner rather than later? And in what ways do you guys support students in that endeavor of learning good financial literacy? Uh, and that's for Alexis. Um, so you mentioned a statement earlier, and we hear all the time, um, you don't know what you don't know. And so when we talk about what financial literacy is, if you were to go into the Radigan Student Center and walk up to a student and ask, a lot of times they're going to look at you kind of like confused, and they're going to ask you, what can you elaborate, you know, or they're straight up tell you, I, I don't know what that means. Um, and I think the important thing to remember here is that financial literacy for each student is going to be different. Because if I'm a student that, you know, has, um, you know, need-based aid, or if I'm a student who only qualifies for loans, um, if I'm a graduate student who only qualifies for unsubsidized loans, that's three different types of students that has to know um, different avenues down what it means to be financial, financially literate in their different areas. And so, you know, it's one of those kind of things you have to be quick on your feet to you look at a student's account and you say, okay, what does financial literacy mean for, for this student? Or um, we go out into the community and speak to different schools, you know, certain demographics we talk to. Um, and so thinking ahead and saying, okay, for these students, what could they possibly need to know regarding their financial situation? Um, when it comes to federal aid, it, it can change each year for students. You know, uh, Shilu had mentioned professional judgments. That can change a, a student's financial situation in a semester. And so understanding where, where is that student at, what are the different avenues that they need to be considering, and then essentially guiding them into that information there. Um, there's a lot of things I did not know, you know, coming. Um, I was a transfer student to Wichita State, and um, I tell this story all the time. Um, I received a, a transfer merit scholarship coming from Butler to Wichita State, and I was so excited. Um, and one thing I didn't know and I'm sure that it was told to me several times, right? I'm sure when I went in and accepted my merit scholarship as a transfer student, um, I'm sure I read this somewhere. And I didn't keep up my GPA. And therefore, the next semester, um, you know, that, that aid was, wasn't there. 
and I was flustered. I was like, okay, what's going on here? And I sat down with a financial aid advisor um, and they, she made it very plain and clear to me, you know, here's what happened. Um, this was the portion of the deal, you know, that you didn't keep up and that was about keeping your grades up. And at the time, you know, life happened. I had a grandmother that I was close to that passed away. I was a student athlete taking 18 to 21 credit hours. Please do not do that if you're a student listening, um, unless you have some tools and resources, of course. Um, but there was a lot that was going on. And so, you know, as students, we have to take on that responsibility of that. Although at that time I did not know, but now I'm aware of this. And so there's a, there's a responsibility that comes with when you know better, you do better. But as the advisor, you know, sometimes um, because we have that empathy, you know, sometimes we can get a little soft-hearted and we're like, okay, you know, maybe they really didn't know. And uh, with my students, I tell them, you know, when you, when you leave out of my office today, um, I'm, I tell them all the time, I'm gonna make a note on your account. That's gonna, that's gonna serve as, as a notice that, that you left out of here with the information that you need in order to be successful. And I make sure to get a head nod, a blink or two, or a thumbs up or something that says, okay, I understand. And if they kind of leave or they're getting ready to leave with a confused look, I say, nope, 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 come on back. Let's, let's sit back down, I have time. And let's go over this again until it makes sense. So one of the things that I have noticed and just talking about that emotional connection and that attachment to the conversation at hand of that of financial literacy, um, Sheila, I'm going to address this last question to you. So when you think about the, the stress that financial, um, financial worry adds to a college experience, in what ways has Wichita State tried their best to decrease some of that financial stress on our students here? So I feel like um, we have started that process in terms of decreasing it, and it's about education, helping students understand that our office is there to help. So we try to communicate that. We're out there um, sharing information. For example, today is October 1. Um, it is the release of the new FAFSA for the 21-22 academic year. So students who are interested in the getting the access to the most financial aid that they are eligible for. October is the month to file the FAFSA. Now, people get stressed about that because, oh my gosh, I don't understand. It's a lot of information. I tell my staff to put themselves in the, the shoes of the students. Think of when you have to file your taxes. It's kind of, you get apprehensive. Oh, those documents I have to pull together. This is what I have to do. So relate that back to the student filing the FAFSA especially our first-generation students who um, are first-time students. They may not know what to do. So to, to really communicate with them, to help ease that stress in terms of that communication and helping them understand that it's a process and it takes steps and that we are here to help them through that step, those steps. We've also um, really partnered with other offices on campus um, so, for example, the care team and um, student affairs and um, Alicia Newell and um, Alicia Sanchez, their offices, we have told them as students go to them with these financial stresses and financial needs to refer those students to our office 
to contact our office on behalf of these students so that that stress is reduced for them because they know that somebody is working on their behalf. And then we'll partner with them. We've done emergency book scholarships or emergency scholarships for a short-term kind of um, situation. Now we'll ask for information from the student because we want to know what's going on and what their situation is. But our office is now, we have more tools and resources to be able to offer and fill that gap in when there are these stressors. And um, like I said before, it's not that we can always help, but we'll communicate and, and dialogue with the student and find resources for them. Absolutely. That's, that's wonderful. You guys have given us so much information. You know, some of it I knew, um, you know, from as someone who started in admissions as well, um, but some of it I didn't know. And, and thinking about the fact that, you know, Bobby and I both worked on this campus for a while and you told us some things we didn't know. So if we think about the students in that regard of, man, they're in over their heads. So it's awesome that we have people like you to meet them where they are. So I just want to thank you guys for coming on the show. Um, I think it's been really valuable and um, just thank you so much. We appreciate you. And I'm happy because I know both of these women very personally, and these are two of the most compassionate women um, that I've ever met. So for you guys to be working in the areas that you are, I think that is nothing but a complete asset to our students. So once again, thank you for your time. Uh, we look forward to hearing more from you guys in the future. All right, next we have the opportunity to hear about financial literacy more from the student perspective. So joining us on today's episode is Jang Bui and Kevin Dow. Thank you both so much for finding the time to visit with us and um, just thanks for agreeing to share your perspective on paying for college. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. So once again, uh, thank you guys for your willingness to answer these questions and have a conversation about financial literacy with us today. Uh, so for Jang, you're pursuing your master's in educational psychology specifically in the area of higher education student affairs, correct? Yes. But you're also the financial wellness graduate assistant, right? Yeah. So a lot of titles there. Uh, and with your role as a financial wellness graduate assistant, what does that job actually entail? Yeah, my role as the financial wellness graduate assistant um, really means that I am creating and implementing developing programs for students. And so that entails um, outreach to students and like really looking into the research behind things and then understanding what students need. Um, so in our office, we say uh, financial education for students, by students. And so we know best what students need. And so in my role and other things that I do, um, I plan and execute different events and workshops. I also um, meet one-on-one -on -one with students. And I also supervise two amazing peer financial coaches. Something that even uh, myself as attending, which I'll say as an undergraduate student, that, that opportunity wasn't here. So I'm really mm -hmm. glad that that whole mindset and that concept of teaching students from a student's perspective, I think that's brilliant and I think that's genius. And I think that's really a great way to really make sure that students are actually being able to understand and comprehend what they're learning right. um, to really hopefully um, make them a little bit more successful in that area of finances. Yeah, and I love that, that wellness is in your title. You know, Bobby and I were talking about when we did our episode on, on wellness for the podcast, you know, talking about including financial wellness, but you're like, well, finances, finances are so big, let's put it in its own category, but it really is a sense of wellness. So mm -hmm. I think that's really cool that they, um, that they put that in to your title. So, um, you know, there's a lot of resources that, that come from what you do. Are there any specific services or resources that have kind of that you've seen be the most utilized by students? 
Yeah, from the time that I've been here, um, the most utilized service would be our tax support. And so we don't do the taxes for the students, but we help guide them um, through the process to do their taxes all for free. So for our international students, um, we use a system called Glacier, which is a software paid from the international office. Um, we help them um, through their federal and their state taxes as well. For our resident students, we use a software through United Way because that's where we're trained. Um, and although it's free um, for our services, the software may charge depending on what they're filing. But um, I found that it's really useful, especially during this whole pandemic as well with the, um, you know, the IRS extending it to July. We had right. so many students and we had to work with them on Zoom to get it done. But um, we are finding that even now, we're still helping students with taxes because um, with our international students, they have to mail it in and with everything going on um, uh, with the pandemic and with the mail system, it's getting stuck behind. Yeah, absolutely. And from all these experiences that you've had, do you feel like it's made you more financially attuned, so to speak, by doing this work? Definitely. I. Um, Prior to my role, I, I knew about financial literacy, but I didn't really reflect on it as much as I do now. So I grew up in a first-generation, low-income family, and so I was never taught about finances except for like, um, don't spend money, um, you know, shop in sales. And so my parents, um, they don't know English, and so majority of their life they spend using cash. And so growing up, I had to learn the hard way about finances, and then when I came into this role, um, especially as a grad student, I had to really adjust my spending because um, I was uh, getting paid a salary as a teacher. Sure. Um, and then I had to readjust my spending. And then I feel like I'm handling it a lot better now because I'm like constantly reflecting everything I'm telling the students. I'm like, okay, I should do that too. <laughs> you know. And then I'm constantly learning new things about financial literacy um, as I grow up because it's a lifelong skill. That's great. I think even for me growing up, and I think that was one of the things that I was really excited about to be being able to do this topic was finances is something that's really not often talked about. And no matter what perspective you come from, uh, I think it always helps to have that additional information and that additional support. So um, once again, I really appreciate you guys being here. Um, so with Kevin, Hello, by the way. Hey. Um, I'm really excited that you're here because I was actually on the committee when we chose you. To I know, you, uh, you was, yeah, yes, he was, was, he was the in the room interviewing me. Yes, so. yes. Oh, um, so it was really good to see you. So you are now a junior accounting major. Um, but once again, you're also one of the recipients of the Harry Gore Memorial Scholarship, which makes you a Gore Scholar. So congratulations once again on that accomplishment. Thank you. Uh, so what does the title of a Gore Scholar mean to you? Um, well, honestly, it means a lot. Um, Let's see, after, after winning the Gore Scholarship, I was honestly just so shocked. Um, but next, the next year after I won it, when we were all in the same room with the other Gore Scholars um, and the past Gore Scholars and alumni, that's where it really came out. Um, and it was apparent to, to how, you know, Gores were held to like a higher standard at Wichita State. And um, just seeing the effects of the Gore Scholarship and how much it just accelerates you, um, you know, not only financially, but you're just networking and, and surrounding yourself with, um, with, you know, the current Gore Scholars and the alumni too. Um, but just having access to, to that pool of people, um, honestly, it just means a lot. Um, 
But with the Gore Scholarship, um, it's it's just entirely different from other scholarships too. Um, you know, there's no GPA requirement. There's no um, number of certain credit hours you have to take. Um, there's really not a lot of restrictions with the scholarship. It's it's kind of money that's given to you with the expectation that you um, kind of give back on campus at Wichita State um, and to alleviate a lot of the financial stress that, um, you know, that loans and, and everything else the tuition has on a student. So I know that competition itself is a very stressful. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> very stressful competition. So I definitely uh, much respect and uh, much gratitude um, for me being on the other end as a person who's on the selection committee to be able to see some of you guys speak so passionate, passionately about how you want to give back to the campus and some of the things that you guys aspire to. Um, it was very inspiring to me as a professional to be able to hear some of your stories. So once again, thank you for that. Thank yeah, you. and while I did not sit on the committee like he did, I do do remember I got to take your headshot. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. <laughs> it was my last year of getting to take headshots. I did that for about five or six years in admissions. So, and again, yeah, when I watched that competition, I'm like, I'm in my 30s and I'd be terrified to do this. So <laughs> you guys are amazing. And just so everyone knows, there were 400 plus students um, in your your round uh, or that year of the Gore Scholarship. So. 627. You're, oh, really? Came out. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. That oh, year. Wow. well, our producer Andrew wrote 400 plus, so he's <laughs> fired. It was 600 plus. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> it just grows every single year. Like, yeah. I remember this will age me, but back when, um, when it was, I didn't do it, but back when uh, it, it was that time I was a transfer student, so I wasn't eligible, um, we had 200 in it, and it wow. just keeps growing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Every single That's year. Crazy. Um, so, okay, so that's been a couple years ago now. So you've had a couple years to kind of soak in the achievement and sort of get used to Wichita State. So now, how would you say that you've been affected by the Gore Scholarship? And it, more than that even, how do you think it's gonna impact you long-term after mm -hmm. college? Um, I mean, I, I think to answer that question, um, I, I would kind of have to go back to my background and upbringing growing up. Um, I, I grew up in a uh, in a low-income family myself too. Both my parents were immigrants, um, and you know, kind of similar to Chang, we, you know, I, I wasn't taught a lot of financial literacy growing up as well. So my freshman year, upon receiving the scholarship, I'm like, wow, this is a lot of money, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that first year I went out and blew it all. Um, <laughs> so. I, yeah, I, I spent it on tuition, everything like that. Um, I bought, you know, like a laptop and stuff for, for college and everything like that. Um, but not really learning the value of a dollar from my parents. Um, it, it was, it really just came out. Um, but over time with the scholarship, it's really accelerated me a lot. I've learned a lot about financial literacy, how to budget that money, um, you know, how to properly um, in, invest and do my finances as well. Um, so yeah, definitely it's it's accelerated um, my financial literacy a lot. It's, it's put me in a, in a much better position than what I would have been. Um, I mean, right now I'm receiving almost full Pell Grant. Um, that's what I was receiving my freshman year too. Um, but really, I think one of the most important parts of the competition was just all the networking and all, all the people I've met through that. Um, I, I like the saying that your your uh, your net worth is your network, um, and so a lot of the people I, I met through that scholarship competition, you know, I I, I do business with today. I've I've created businesses with. Um, you know they they've helped me through a lot of my endeavors and then you know i shout out to 
to my mom at the time because um, I mean growing up uh, you know sometimes like she wouldn't eat just so I could eat um, and so you know learning the value of a dollar back then compared to now uh, I think you learn a lot so if you don't mind me asking but what does the you know having that title the Gore Scholar the, the pressure and the recognition of that name and that scholarship, did you feel a lot of pressure once you were officially named, kind of going forward that you have these expectations to live up to during your academic career? Mm -hmm. um, did you did you ever struggle with just some of those pressures at all? Uh, yeah, I did. I honestly did feel like I, I struggled with a lot of the pressures of being a Gore Scholar, um, you know, kind of being initiated into the group. Uh, a lot of the Gore Scholars um, automatically, you know, look to join a uh, student ambassador society. They look to all studying abroad and everything like that. I'd say um, most of the past Gore scholars just um, ended up studying abroad anyways. That's something I plan on doing. Um, but I mean, with the with being a Gore scholar, again, a lot of the expectation is that you kind of volunteer on campus, that you give back to campus in a way. Um, so there, there were definitely a lot of pressures with that. And I think sometimes that's maybe not a lens that most people look at it through. Um, it's just what that additional stress and pressure. So you you win this competition, you have these these finances to um, think about. You have your own life. You're you're trying to figure out yourself. Yeah. And you're still so young. You know, yeah. you're entering college for the first time. So uh, thank you for that transparency. Um, so Jane, I want to know specifically for you, what has been the most rewarding part of your job? The students. Um, honestly, the students I get to meet and interact with and hear their stories, it really inspires me to be, you know, a better, you know, person, a better graduate assistant in my role, you know, um, just to find more resources for them. And, you know, I can't necessarily give them money um, where I'm at, but I can help them understand money. And, like, sometimes when I'm, like, breaking down what they're spending, um, even though it's a hard topic, I can feel like a release out of them, like, okay, I, I have the next steps. And not only that, but I'm following up with them. Like, I'm making sure that I'm their accountability partner. Like, I'm going to check on you every month until we can get your habits right. And so being able to meet with the students um, from all different walks of life, um, from first year students to transfer, um, returning adult students even, um, it's good to hear their stories and then it's also even better to educate them. And naturally, um, I'm a teacher at heart and so I love to teach and create those connections. I know that, you know, the work that you guys are doing, you know, this type of engagement wasn't at this institution 15 to 20 years ago, mm -hmm. honestly, and maybe not even 10 years ago. And so now, um, with all of this additional knowledge and expertise in this area, what are three tips that you would give to maybe a student who's never visited your office before, someone who maybe doesn't know uh, the work that you guys do? Uh, what would be three tips that you would give? So three tips I would give is to really, like, plan for your spending as much as you plan you know time management as much as you plan um, different events going on in your life you need to also plan for how you're spending and understanding what money you're bringing in and what money you're bringing out and so um, once you understand that piece of it everything will continue on so it's uh, continuous pro progress um, the next tip is kind of personal but like the next tip is just don't fall for you know like you know, when you're at the 
cash register and they're trying to get you to open up a credit card. I feel like um, a lot of students, when I talk about credit, they're like, oh yeah, I, I almost opened up account, an account. And so they don't realize that even them looking up you know, their social security, it also affects their credit score. And so um, that's one thing I try to tell students to watch out for is really understanding what fees are out there, um, what you're getting yourself into, um, especially when it comes to credit. And then the last tip would definitely be to practice. Um, keep practicing. Um, it's a skill, it's a lifelong skill, and but practice with grace. Um, it's okay to um, have some slip ups here and there, but give yourself that room to grow and to reflect. I'm curious because what made you even choose? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you already know where I'm going with this. What made you choose for this to be a role that you, you chose to apply for? Like, what about this role connected with you to, to that extent? Because you speak very passionately about it. You speak very um, intentionally about mm -hmm. it as well. So I'm just curious, where does that come from? Yeah, I, I remember back to like graduate weekend when we were all like interviewing for different offices and different graduate assistantships. I really connected with um, not only the Office for Student Money Management, but the office it's under with the Office of Student Success. And so I believe um, with the Office for Student Money Management, it ties into our whole experience um, being students. You know, like I felt like I didn't receive that much, you know, education as an undergrad. And I want to make sure that I continue that support for students so that you know, after they graduate, they're not, they're not stuck and they're not like, wow, I didn't learn anything in school. And so I want to be able to offer that for them. That's so great. Bobby's absolutely right. You speak very intentionally. And I'm sitting over here looking at my Starbucks cup and I'm like, okay, I need to go see Jang and she needs to keep me accountable <laughs> for my spending. And, you know, because I mean, really this information is stuff that like I wish I knew, you know, mm -hmm. when I was 18 um, or younger than that even. And we talked about this in our financial literacy. Um, uh, our, actually, our first generation is where we talked about it with Kay about um, just wishing this stuff was taught in high school. You know yeah. what I mean? The, these kind of like life skills sort of sort of thing. Um, so, so I think that's great what you're doing. It's very very cool, um, Kevin. On the topic of kind of advice and tips, um, what type of advice would maybe you give to younger students specifically when it comes to applying for? financial aid, whether that's scholarships or grants or um, anything like that, just handling that process? Um, yeah, uh, the, the top tip I would definitely have is, is seek help. Um, that's definitely my number one tip. Um, I feel like without the assistance of um, some key people at Wichita State, I wouldn't be here today speaking with you guys. Um, I wouldn't have any of the scholarships or any of the grants I would have today without, um, you know, assistance with FAFSA. Um, I'm, in my family, there really wasn't any urgency to fill um, the FAFSA or anything, especially in high school. Um, but when all the financial advisors came around from Wichita State, um, and I asked them a lot of questions about the process and everything, they were just there to help me. Um, I mean, one person that really stuck out to me uh, was Ricky Ellison. Shout out to her. Um, she, yeah, I, I think I think I, I remember uh, sitting there in high school filling out the DSI application with her um, and and admissions application and everything like that. Um, but you know, as as Chang mentioned, um, financial literacy is is a lifelong skill. It's something you need to constantly practice and um, and improve on. Um, it's not something that's taught in school. 
you know, although I, I did take a financial literacy class in high school, um, I'm going to be honest, I don't, I don't think I learned a lot from the class. It's something that's either you know, taught the easy way or the hard way. And, and um, you retain the information, you know, easy, either learning it one of those two ways. Um, and so a lot of that does come down to self-practice. Um, but a lot of that at the same time can be taught with, with seeking help and, and talking to the necessary people. I think that that's key, the seeking help and the conversations, yeah. you know, and I think that was the whole intention even behind our mindset for this podcast is having those conversations because even Jessica and I being, you know, working professionals and adults, uh, there's still things that I think we have learned from every person that we have talked to thus oh, far. Yeah, yeah. For sure. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited that our students and our campus community get to hear, you know, from you guys directly how these things are impacting your life. And so once again, I just want to say thank you guys so much for a great conversation. Um, Kevin, it was great to see you again. Nice James, it was definitely too. nice get yeah. to, to know you. And mm-hmm. I've heard great things about you, so I definitely oh, want to see you. <laughs> 100% she lives up to the hype. Absolutely. Um, so once again, thank you guys for being a part of our financial literacy episode today. Um, and we just want to say uh, thank you. And then, Jane, do you have a website? So for students who maybe want to have some additional information on your area and what you do, um, what's a great way for us to be able to connect them to you? Yeah, so our if you look up like Office for Student Money Management, I believe it's OSMM, so we also say awesome because okay. talking about money is awesome. Nice. So just looking that up at wichita.edu. Um, All right, thank you so much. Excellent. Well, yes, I will reiterate, thank you again. Um, Bobby and I, you know, when we got started with this, at least for me, I think I underestimated how much I was going to learn from people. You know, I was like, we need to share this with the students. We need to educate people. And here I'm like, this is amazing. Like, we're learning so much. So we've gotten to talk to just some really amazing individuals, um, you know, on this show and then um, so far this season. Um, So we just want to thank you. And uh, finally, we'd also love to hear from those of you who are listening. So whether you're keeping up with, um, let's talk about it on Spotify or Anchor, Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter, we'd love to hear your feedback on the show. If there are a additional topics that we haven't covered that you would like to hear about. Um, maybe you have a special you know, person that you know who you think would be great on the show. Just let us know what's on your mind and be sure to join us next time on Let's Talk About It.